This week's episode is sponsored by Weird Giraffe Games, whose game Big Easy Busking is on Kickstarter right now. It's an area control game for one to five players that brings you to the streets of New Orleans to play music for tips on about 45 minutes. There are thematic actions, escalating rounds, and a new twist on area control where players determine how much energy to use at each location after seeing how other players play. Big Easy Busking is easy to teach, has vibrant art, and graphic design that is colorblind friendly. It's portable, it's accessible, and it has quite a bit of depth. There's also a solo mode designed by Carla Kopp that faithfully reproduces the fun and excitement of the multiplayer game even when no one else is around to play. Big Easy Busking is a spectacular game for both new and experienced gamers. Check it out on Kickstarter by going to BigEasyBusking.com right now. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at QMLogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, talking about tile laying, and we're talking to Bob and Ryan Craig from One Day West Games. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hey, Gabe. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Gabe. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Now, say who's who so people can kind of put a name to a voice right now. Sure. I'm uh, I'm Bob Craig. I'm, I'm the older brother. And I'm Ryan Craig. I have the lighter voice. <laughs> no, and, I, and I'm Ryan Craig, Bob's younger brother. Yeah. There you go. Now, I'm excited to talk to you guys. Tile laying games are, are just some of the most popular games in the world. If you look at the BGG Top 100, Top 200, so many of those games are either just tile laying or, 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 or they're tile laying with some extra added things on top of that. And so I feel like this is just a really cool topic to jump into. You guys have designed a couple tile laying games we'll talk about in a minute. But before we get into all that good stuff, tell me your bio. Who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that good stuff. Yeah. All right. So um, again, I'm, I'm Ryan and my brother, Bob. We are we started One Day West Games uh, probably about like three, three years ago. So uh, we're actually we're landscapers by trade and uh board gamers by night um yeah we we actually we started uh into board games probably i don't know five six years ago we actually started into the retro gaming when our friend brought over the original fireball island and that kind of lit the match into exploring the the gaming world so we kind of graduated from collecting retro games and then that led us right into the more modern gaming and then um you know with landscaping we do lots of design so that kind of led us into well let's just work on let's try to design our, our own game and yeah it's monster highway was kind of like our, our first game and it, it kind of just started out as just like a hey let's just try and design a game um we had an idea let's put it down and uh had some friends play it and it kind of took off so it's kind of like that we never set out and said like hey we're just going to start a, a board game company it kind of organically grew itself into uh where we are right now like i said ryan said it was just a hobby on the side just to have some fun with and here we are three and a half years later now actually still designing now and it's part-time but hopefully full-time at some point yeah very cool and i love how you guys are basically professional tile layers as landscapers i mean it's kind of what you do you you lay out tiles to fit together you know all these different plants or bushes or you know all the different stuff going on and with this kind of uh, placement of different things. And so it kind of makes sense that you would create this style of games, but let's get a good working definition. When a, when somebody says tile laying, what are we really talking about? Yeah, sure. Um, 
we kind of like worked up a definition. It's tough because it's such a, a large topic, but like I, I'd basically say it would be like the utiliz- utilization of game components, um, which is typically a chipboard material uh, that could be used to create any kind of playing surface. And it could also be used um, as a means of scoring points within a game as well by placing them down. Yeah, definitely. And some of the most old school games of all time, I mean, are, are tile placement uh, games. And actually, let's let's jump into that. Let's talk about some of the old school games. And I'm thinking Scrabble. I'm thinking Mahjong. I'm thinking Dominoes. A uh, little bit more modern. I'm thinking Blockus. Like, so I, it seems that this style of game uh, lends itself to just kind of being easy to jump into the hobby. Uh, Carcassonne, which is a one of the best games of all time. And so like, what do you think it is about this mechanism that makes it just so easy to, to create a game that's very simple and anybody could play? Yeah. Like you said, uh, it's, it's definitely a, a, a great mechanic that definitely lends itself to drawing in um, the outside crowd. Like, like I said, like a lot of our um, family and friends weren't typically board gamers. I mean, uh, from the past we were heavy video gamers and um, all of our friends are video gamers. And then to try and make the switch and then draw them in and be like, hey, um, board games, they're cool again. They're like, oh, they do the typical, you know, like Monopoly and that, that kind of thing in life and shoots and ladders. I was like, no, 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 no. There's a whole nother world out there. It's an untapped world that nobody really knows about in our family and friend circles. So to draw them in, we needed games, like Ryan was saying earlier, that uh, can hook them and, and they're easy to play, easy to teach. So like you said, Blockus, that was one of them that, that popped in. Um, Quirkle, uh, there was a bunch of just like simple, easy games. Um, and they're very, you know, they're colorful, they're attractive. So someone, you know, even if they're not watching or, or playing, they're watching. They're like, oh, wow, that looks really cool. I, I got next game. I, I got to see what this is all about. And they yeah. kind of hop into it. Yeah, it's like, and it's, it's visually appealing too because you're, you're, you're creating something. I mean, even down to people that like, puzzles you know you're you're putting a piece of, of chipboard down you know and, and you're creating something and that's just very appealing for people who might not be um you know in, into games or really understanding what what the game world really really is so it's definitely a great gateway to draw people in using using tiles yeah, definitely. And it gives the game some really interesting table presence, right? Because you kind of you start off, maybe the, the board has nothing on it or maybe one tile. And by the end of the game, it's this huge sprawling, you know, area if you're playing Carcassonne or there's all these different words if you're playing Scrabble. Uh, I think that also kind of taps into our, our natural enjoyment just as humans of kind of building things out and going from nothing to something as well. Right. And it, and it's, you know, games like that, it's it's different every single time. So it's, it's never going to be old. The replay value is, is always there because... You know, in Scrabble, it's always going to be different, you know, right down, right down the line. So that's always appealing to people, too. Yeah, great point. Also, I feel like it gives players so many interesting choices just with one tile because you can have so many different things going on. Even if you think all the way back to dominoes and Scrabble, right? If dominoes, I've got uh, maybe the two different numbers. So I've got one tile, but I've got maybe a couple different options. Or with Scrabble, I have one letter, but that's going to give me different options as far as the words that I make. Carcassonne, uh, I've got this one tile, but I've got different things I could do as far as making roads or cities or, or uh, fields. And so I feel like it creates a very, very simple way to give players multiple decision points. And so tell me about what you've what you found with your own games or games you've enjoyed as far as you know, I've got one tile or just a few tiles, but I've got lots of different choices that I can make. Yeah, so I, I guess going into uh, you know the the board game design, going into like Monster Highway. So again, like you know, liking the whole tile theme and, and building because of our you know our landscaping um, career, we're like you know we can you can build roadways, but you know every 
every road's going to be different. So it just going, going back to that point we were just talking about, you know, the, your roadway to your home base, which is the point of, of monster highway, you're building a, a road from ground zero to your home base, but you know, there's four way intersections, three ways, curves, straights, you know, there's road closed tiles. So it's, it's different every single time it's, it's ever changing. And that's just, you know, something that's very ap- appealing to Bob and I, when it comes to, to design. And also having those those choices with the tiles, like you said, like tiles can have uh, multiple possibilities for usage within the game. So like, again, to reference Monster Highway, um, you can have that road tile, but you could choose to play that on another player's road. You could play it on your road. Um, it kind of gives you like that offensive ability versus defensive ability. So it's kind of like there's a strategy within the game, like, you know, do I help myself or do I, you know, try and hurt the next player next to me? Since the game's got a little bit of take that in it. Um, so, you know, just having those choices to, to play offense, defense, um, and have multiple options within a tile is, is pretty huge with designing. Yeah, absolutely. And like we we're just saying, you've got one tile, but multiple things that you can do with it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, we talk a lot about uh, multi-use cards, but it, it just seems like tile lane games have been having, you know, multi-use tiles for forever, even all the way back to dominoes. And so it, it adds that replayability that I think a lot of people are looking for. You could play Carcassonne, play Carcassonne a thousand times and the little area that you're building, the, the, the fields and the cities and, and the rows on it are always going to look different by the end. And it's going to present interesting choices every single time. And so I feel like these games stand the test of time because they're so replayable. Sure. Yeah. One of my favorites, I, I think you have to go back to uh, survive escape from Atlantis uh, the stronghold yeah. game. I, I just love that mm-hmm. for the fact that, I mean, that was kind of inspiration kind of to our, our, our second game, Sheep Boom Ba, with like, like when you move on to it, you, you flip the, the tile over to reveal what's going on underneath it. Um, just, just the fact that it, the board's ever changing. Um, that's, that's always been a, a favorite of mine, but it's, I forget how old exactly it is, like what their first print of that was. But like you said, I, I've, that's definitely stood the test of time so far. Yeah, that was another, another point about the tiles that Bob and I really, that we explored, like you said, just with Sheep Boom Ba, you know, they're, two-sided so one one component could you know have two roles basically in in a game which going back to design that that's very uh you know when it comes to pricing a game out and stuff having one component that can do two things is, is awesome it's all and it's all it's great for the the player too because it, it adds that one extra dimension to the game yeah for sure now what themes do you think go well with tiling i, I think we see a lot of city building games and so that one's kind of obvious but like what other themes do you think go well with this style of uh, mechanism Probably, uh, maybe, uh, like puzzle games. I mean, obviously going to puzzles, but I mean, there's so many, like we already said, you know, Quirkle and, and Blockus. There's also number nine that we really enjoy too. So all those kind of like puzzle games really lend themselves well for, uh, you know, tiles. It's like adventure games too. Um, Karuba is a, another favorite of mine too with, you know, you're building out the pathway too, but that's an adventurous way. You're trying to, you know, get to your, your pyramid structure there um seems like a lot of yeah adventure uh, survive from Atlantis that's also another adventurous type game um they also seem to have pretty strong themes to them but then you could also go down to like the abstract games as well too so I guess Azul could technically be considered a tile laying game um that's very popular and and that's just uh has a very kind of basic theme not very like super thematic but it, it, it still works with the, the theme within it. 
Yeah, for sure. I feel like any game where you have some really interesting spatial choices, it, it, it's not only what you're playing, but it's also where you're playing it. And one of my favorites is Baron Park, where you're building out this big bear park and you get different shapes and sizes of these uh, exhibits or whatever for the for the bears. And it's like, okay, how am I going to place this tile on on my space so that it maximizes the, the use of it, right? And I get to cover up these other things. And I get these uh, extra uh, actions for doing this kind of stuff. And I feel like any kind of game that has that spatial reasoning really lends itself to, to tiling. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, actually, I haven't heard of that game before. We're out there. We were just writing that down to, to take yeah. a note on that one. Yeah, that sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, check that one out. That one's awesome. It take take Blockus and then add like a really interesting zoo theme on top of it with some interesting rules. And the rule book's only like four pages. It's super super easy to understand. Uh, it's a game that I've introduced to the, the the high school kids here that I do the gaming group with on Mondays, and they love it because they're getting to use their 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 math skills, basically their spatial reasoning skills, and trying to figure out okay, where's the best place to to put this, and how can I uh, you know add this tile here, and it locks in here. It's almost like playing Tetris in a lot of ways, and so that one's a, a lot of fun. But let's also talk about King Domino. That's a super popular game that's also super simple to understand. Uh, you guys have played that one. Tell me about your, your experience with it. Yeah, again, uh, King Domino go- goes into that ever ever changing board. You know, it's it's never going to be exactly the same. So there's your uh, your, your, your spatial uh, placement of, of tiles. Um, I, I just love it, the, the simplicity of it too. I mean, you're, you're working within such a, a small area, but you're, and you're using such a, like a limited amount of tiles, but you're still accomplishing so much and I always feel like the the suspense in it, like putting them down and like, oh, am I going to be able to, you know, make the, the best usage of this, this area when I'm placing these tiles down? Yeah. And you're restricted to, you know, to a certain, a certain size board too. So you're working within, within that. So that's always in the back of your mind. Um, but yeah, just, just that, that game that's different every single time. Right. And I love how it's so simple, but yet you get really great choices out of it and you get the opportunity to feel clever. And I feel like that's what a lot of people enjoy about games is they get opportunities to feel smart, to feel clever when they place these tiles in a certain way that they fit together and they get to score all these extra bonus points or, you know, depending on the game that they're playing. But let's also talk about how, all right, so King Domino uses rectangles and then a game like uh, Carcassonne or Suburbian, and we'll talk about Suburbian more in a, in a minute, um, but it uses hexes. And then sometimes you can use squares. So like, what's been your experience with maybe trying different uh, shapes as far as the tiles in your games and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, we so so far. I mean, I, we explored with the with the square tiles. But actually, our our newest game that we're actually working on right now between Bob and I, we're actually thinking about possibly using hex tiles uh, just just to explore for that that reason because it adds that one more dimension of having some more versatility with with the tile. Yeah, we started out like our our first two games. I guess just you know when we were building our road. Um, having the, the shapes within it, it worked because we were kind of like um, King Domino where we were working within a, a board. So we were limited in our space and, and the way we designed it to have the four corners as the bases, the square shapes kind of lend themselves to, to work within that game. Um, so we kind of stuck with that. And again, our second game, it was a field. So we, we stuck with it, the square shapes again, but we wanted to venture outside that and like, like Ryan was saying, like our newest game, we're actually working with the the hex pieces, just you know, because it could give you those couple extra movement and um, tiles touching each other. You know, you have just a couple extra spaces that you can move within, uh, not as limited in your movement. Right. And it also seems like if you're doing a space game, you have to use hexes. I don't know of exactly. any space game that uses square tiles for for you know space. I guess was it galaxy trucker that uses square tiles for the spaceship. But I feel like if you're doing space, it's just hexes automatically for whatever reason. Uh, but like, 
what are some maybe advantages or disadvantages of using the different sizes? And we can also talk about the manufacturing costs. Like we can go the full full deal. And you guys are publishers. So you kind of see both sides of design and publishing. So like, what are some of the advantages, pros and cons of the different uh, shapes and sizes? I'd say like, even like uh, on a, a hex boards, like, so like with Monster Highway being just the square board and the square tiles, I think even like sometimes um, j- just like setting up like a starting point like for in a game, like, so our, our game started in the center and it moved its way out to the corners of the boards. If I think if you were starting on the edge of the board, um, sometimes like with hex shapes, you have that like half shape hex along the outside perimeter of that. And it's kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, what do you use with that space? Sometimes um, it could be a little confusing. Um, maybe just with us introducing like newer players to it the the square shapes were maybe a little bit more familiar with them they weren't really familiar like oh there's all different types of tile sizes out there that they, they would recognize the square immediately and and know that you can move forward on that but the hex might compound um you know choices and stuff too much for them so maybe like how we started out was the more basic way but you know us evolving now and, and obviously playing more games and and, and being around more of that type of stuff we've we're kind of looking to that 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 hex shape yeah gotcha and i think it also depends on what you're trying to do with the game with suburbia you know you're you're activating tiles that you you touch so if you lay down a tile it's going to activate the other tiles that, that it uh, bumps up against that it's adjacent to and so the more sides it has the more you can activate and so that's a very interesting uh, component choice like they could have done square tiles and you only activate a certain number but they use the hex and so you have extra sides. And so I think that's a, a something to think about, like how much complexity do you want to add to your game? Because maybe four sides is a little easier to understand. Maybe six sides is a little more complex, but what's the demographic? Like what kind of gamer are you going for? But let's go back into the manufacturing. Uh, one, something we were talking about before the show is, is kind of the, the costs and, and just being surprised by different costs that were involved in these things. And so like, talk to me a little bit about that from the publishing side. Yeah, sure. So um, just just for our, our experience, um, Monster Highway, like I said, when we, we set off down this journey of, of board games here, it was just to kind of create our game that we had in our head and to have people play. So the the game we had, and I think it was just basically designed on the shape of a, a poster board that we had, and it was a larger rectangular poster board. And um, for prototyping, we use uh, the Game Crafter to make our, our pieces. And uh, one of the boards they have within there is a six-fold board. So we designed the whole game around that, and um, it worked great. I mean, the game played perfect. Uh, we took it to all different conventions, play testing it, um, tons of good feedback back from it. And we always stuck with that six-fold board. Um, but with that six-fold board, it came a lot more row tiles that were necessary to place down to get to your home base. Um, and I think we were up to, I think it was close to 100 tiles at some point within the game. And it was just a matter of like what it was going to take to put down um, roads in the board, but also have additional tiles that, you know, you could still have a draw pile within it if you had to discard something like that. Um, but we, like I said, we were never thinking about the, the the pricing of it. So we were like a hundred tiles. Okay. And then when we actually started getting quotes from our manufacturer. Yeah. We, we got the quotes from the manufacturer for, you know, a six fold board with a hundred tiles. You know, we were, we were blown away. One, it, it was the weight that was the yeah. issue. And we, we saw the, the, the shipping cost and then, you know, also the, the components, so we really started thinking about like, wow, you know, this, it never occurred to us like, Hey, let, let's make the board smaller. And that, that actually came through a, through a play testing. Someone recommended that, but it, it, that never occurred to us. And so, you know, we were, 
when we kind of made that swing to like, okay, let's let's think about manufacturing. Then when we started playtesting and and really really started thinking about like the the big picture of of creating Monster Highway. You know, someone actually did recommend, hey, how about a fourfold board? You know, it's the same amount of fun just in a smaller, shorter period of time because it, it cut the game down in, in, by like you know twenty minutes. So just going fast forward, you know, then we did a whole other quote with that fourfold board and it cut the tiles down to 64 tiles and it became a price that we we're like, wow, you know what, this is something we should pursue. You know, we're getting enough positive feedback and you know, the, the price point is, is right now. Um, so basically that just made us aware of for the next game and then down the road, you know, what, like how many tiles to use, how to use tiles. So it just kind of led us right to sheep boom bah, having a tile that that's two sided and, no game board at all so it's almost like let the tiles become the board which is another benefit of of using tiles yeah for sure and you bring up a great point is that you can adjust the time right so if you've got a game a tiling game that's a little bit too long well you can probably just eliminate some of the tiles and and it shortens the game down and i feel like that's something that just kind of makes the whole testing process a little bit easier you don't it's not like some games where it's like well how do we shorten this game like well i don't I don't know. Well, tiling, it's like, well, let's cut out 10 tiles and see if that brings a game down 10 minutes. And you can kind of tweak it a little bit easier than in other style games. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Bob and I, we, we've learned so much about game development. Again, like like he was saying, we we really didn't have intentions of, of creating a board game company and, and, and designing games. It kind of just like this naturally happened. Um, you know, we're, we're self-employed, so we're always you know, basically going out on our own, making the phone calls, making our own work. So it just was kind of a natural thing to do. Um, yeah, so then that, that was just like, well, let, let's kind of dive into what, what it takes to, to design a game and then, yeah, going through the components and, and what they cost and basically listening to feedback was, was huge. I, I would say that was probably like the biggest thing that, that Bob and I learned because just that, that one, that one piece of feedback that we received, like, Hey, want just make this a fourfold board, you know, it will cut back on time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the little light bulb went off. We're like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And we really, really started making the the convention tour, and not that we didn't take playtesting serious, but then we, you know, wrote down every single thing because you never know what that that one uh, feedback that you're going to receive what that's going to do to your game. So it definitely, definitely shaped Monster Highway uh, it, to become a game that we could, you know, market and put on Kickstarter and 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 move forward. So that definitely uh, propelled us. Yeah, I remember what what he said too, because I think that was like our very last play test. It was like PAX. We were at like a at the Unpub uh, play hall at PAX Unplugged, and I think it may have been the last play tester. And he he said that you know that game is great on the six fold board. He's like I, I had a lot of fun, but he's like there's no reason why it couldn't be just a little bit smaller and I can have the same amount of fun. So he's like where the game originally on that six fold board took like forty five to sixty minutes on average. But we, when we cut it down to that that fourfold board, it was like in the 20, 30 minute range. So he's like, I don't see why I can't have that same amount of fun in a shorter period of time. And then if I lost, maybe I'm like, hey, let's set the game up again. Then uh, we could play it again. So he could play twice in the same amount of time it would have taken to play the original game one time. So I thought that was that was pretty cool. And that's like Ryan said, the importance of play testing is, is so crucial. And, and, you know, like I said, we write everything down, whether you actually end up changing everything that you hear, you know, isn't always necessary, but at least, you know, you could go back at another time, review through it and you go, Hey, that was a great idea. Maybe we should explore that. And, you know, good thing we did because that really helped us in the end. 
Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk a little bit more about playtesting in a minute, but first let's talk about prototyping. What's been your experience with designing and creating your own tiles? Like, did you find any materials that worked well or any kind of tools that helped you cut these things? That's one thing I've run into when I've, I've been trying to make my own tile laying games is how in the world do I cut out a hex shape so that it's even and so that, that the hexes I end up with are all the same. So I don't end up with like these funky you know, shapes going on, you know, that actually all fits together the way it's supposed to. So like, what have you guys done in your own prototyping? Um, I guess for the original like Monster Highway one, um, I actually used um, I was trying to the, the technical term for them, the die sublimation tiles. Uh, if that was the correct thing, they're they're not even meant for like board games. They're like a metal back to them, and I printed out stickers and actually stuck the stickers on top of them. This is like before we knew anything about Game Crafter and you know chipboard and that that's so forth. So we we're like how am I going to make these like square tiles? So it's like, I just looked around like on eBay or Amazon and I saw these square metal things. I was like, Oh, they're perfect. There's a two by two. That's exactly what we want it. And you know, they, they sufficed for the, for the time during our original prototype. And then we discovered the magical world of game crafter and we're like, Oh my God, <laughs> this would have been so much easier. <laughs> yeah. If we would have just knew about this like a, a month or two earlier. <laughs> But I guess the, also the initial uh, prototyping. For, so Sheep Boom Ba, we actually used foam board. We I think we used that for, what, six months? Yeah. We used foam board. With stickers on them. Yeah. Bob, Bob Hand, Andrew, all the uh, all, all the different tiles, all the, the sheep cards. Uh, but yeah, foam, foam board was was fantastic for, for using uh, tiles. But if you're saying hex tiles, I, I could see that if you're trying to do that from scratch, you know, that, that would be almost impossible to get all those angles and, and shapes consistently right each time without having some kind of funky board building out when you're putting these homemade tiles down. But uh, Game Crafter and um, a couple uh, places on Amazon we've gotten some good cards from, like if you just want blank hex tiles or blank cards. And then, you know, we found just getting stickers from Staples and then printing them out on your computer. It's, it's worked out pretty good, just at least to get the initial idea down. Yeah, for sure. I'm a huge fan of just using stickers and, and putting them on cards or on tiles and that kind of thing. And just ordering a, a big set of blank tiles from the Game Crafter and then putting stickers, because you can always just add another sticker on top and it doesn't really yeah. affect things. Um, I've also just gotten the hex cards from Game Crafter that are a lot cheaper than the tiles. And just for prototyping, you know, especially when you're just trying to figure it out by yourself and it doesn't really matter if the cards overlap a little bit or you know, you're just pushing cards around, uh, just using hex cards and, and that works really well. Also, I've seen people use like a die cutter. I know here at the school that I work, uh, where I work, they have a big die cutting uh, machine where you can cut out letters, you can cut out shapes and everything. And one of the shapes is a hexagon. And so I've actually used that just gone in with some construction paper and just cut out, you know, 50 different little die cut hexagons and done that as well. And so I feel like there's some interesting tricks out there that you can do to kind of make your life easier. So you're not having like hand cut, hand draw the, these hexagons, which are never going to turn out uh, equal if you do it that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of our friends actually, uh, he, he picked up a, a Glowforge. So that was pretty cool. So it's nice having a friend who actually, who has one of those. <laughs> so he yeah, no, what is, helped what is us. That? A Glowforge, uh, it's it's a, a laser cutter, so you can uh, cut okay. out. Um, you can cut out pretty much. I don't know if you cut chipboard out, you should be able to cut chipboard out. But he's actually cutting uh, wood out for us because we're working on an abstract game that involves like wooden pieces, like special shaped wooden pieces. So he was able to whip up a program and, and cut them out, and he brings these awesome pieces to us. We're like, oh my god, this is amazing! But uh, looked into them. They're they're a little expensive, but you know. Time being, we don't mind, you know, we could throw a couple bucks his way just to help us out with that. It's it's also really nice. It's definitely helped out with that game. Um, 
move along that idea because I, I didn't know what else really to do to to work within this one type of piece that we were looking for. Yeah, definitely. That's kind of the situation of, of a boat. It's always nice to have a friend who owns a boat and then you get to go out and hang out and enjoy the boat. And then you get to go home and they have to take care of the boat. And so it's nice to have a friend with a laser cutter that, you know, you can bomb, bomb a drink, bomb some lunch, pizza or something like that. And uh, they just help you out with the uh, cutting, you know, deal, deal with anything else. I guess 3D printing is another option. If you wanted to just get on uh, online and find some hexagon shapes that you could kind of upload into a 3D printer and, and print a whole bunch of plastic uh, hexes or, or squares, whatever that, that could also be an option. Yeah. Yeah. The way the 3d printers are now that they're becoming more and more affordable. Even, even some of these, uh, you know, starter ones are actually are pretty decent. Actually, uh, one of, uh, Bob's neighbors actually has, has a decent, a decent one. And he's creating, uh, he's printing out some, uh, monster minis for us for, for monster highways. And, and they're coming out nice. fantastic. Awesome. Well, cool. Let's, uh, let's switch gears back into playtesting. Tell me about your experience with playtesting and kind of what you were looking for, especially as far as the, the tile laying aspects of your games. Yeah, sure. Like, so when we first got into it, like I said, like we took this out, our very first convention we went to, uh, was called Too Many Games. We were just, we found what's the closest convention to us nearby that we could just throw this in front of as many people as we can and see what they think. So here it was a video game, board game convention crossover. So we weren't really sure what to expect more heavy on the video games and board games, but we were uh, astounded to find out like how many, like those video gamers were board gamers. And when there's only six of us there, I think that actually had displayed games yeah. of board games and uh, we were swarmed the, the whole time. And, and I think we were kind of like overwhelmed. Cause like I said, being the first time out, you don't know what to expect. So people are, are playing it and, and they're throwing suggestions. And then, you know, we had a notebook and they're like, oh, wow, I just start writing this stuff down. And we we're just definitely pleasantly surprised with what people are like suggesting, like, oh, would you ever consider this or consider that? And then, then your mind's going like a million miles an hour. Cause you're like, oh, I didn't even think about that before. Is that necessary? Is that not necessary? And then kind of have to take time and, and, and start honing in going like, all right, well, this is kind of the game we set off down the path to design and what people are saying, some good, some bad, you, you, you take it and, and adapt a couple little things and, and take some of that good feedback. But uh, yeah, I, I think when it came to, to feedback, it, what we have learned that, it, you know, hearing good feedback is, is great. But then hearing negative feedback is, you know, even better because that negative feedback is what's going to make your game even better. The good, good feedback kind of validates it, but then negative feedback actually makes, the game makes makes you uh want to make the game even even better than, than it is because you want to solve that that problem so i think the games that that bob and i create we're, we're going for the games that everybody can sit down and play regardless of your your gaming experience so to have somebody sit down and play your game and have the reactions that we were trying to to create which we've learned on the road you know that we wanted to create um, seeing someone jump up and, and be like, oh, you know, creating those moments, you're, we're, we're looking for that when we're when we're playtesting. So you kind of learn, you know, the kind of game that you want, and then you learn to look for the the reactions that that you want to to get out of the game because that's you know what Bob and I would love, especially when it comes to the the, the take that aspects and um, you know you you want to make sure that it's actually it's actually happening, create that that environment that you want yeah, you definitely want to evoke those emotions like they're they're even all the way down to one tile specifically in monster highway we we ha uh, have a re-roll tile so there's dice in monster highway so if you roll it and you don't like the results of the die if you have a re-roll tile in your hand you can play it but we 
switch it around a bit too to give it a second dimension that you're able to play that reroll tile on somebody else's turn to make them reroll. So we were finding, and and we love the fact that like someone stands up and they throw down and go, you reroll, and and it brings out that that emotion. And 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 when you're watching people play tests, you're like, that's that's it. That's that's what we were going for. That's that's ultimately what we want the feeling um, when people are play testing at the end of the game when they're like, oh man, if I would just had that reroll tile, I could have played that on you. And and if you didn't get that car card, I would have played that on you, and then you wouldn't have won. And when people are talking about your game after the gameplay, then you, like Ryan said, it kind of validates like, all right, they had a lot of fun, you know, definitely stuck in their head. And uh, just, just little things like that have, have been crucial along the way with the play testing. Yeah. Now, did you, did you ever run into any issues of like having too much information on a tile or too little information on a tile and you had to like tweak some things just kind of based on the play testing feedback? Sure. I think even like, yeah, specific wording. Um, on, on certain tiles, uh, yeah, we're maybe confusing because like as us as designers, you know, you're thinking like you already know what you want that tile to do when you place it down and you've already thought ahead like, all right, it's going to do this and this and blah, blah, blah. But you have to remember too that this person coming into your game has never seen your game before, <laughs> never seen anything and, and they're dropping this tile down and they're going and they're moving it or they're doing what they think the wording is telling it to do. And, and, and I think that's really interesting too, because you're like thinking to yourself like, wait, why are they doing that? And then you stop and be like, that, that tile doesn't actually do that. And they're like, oh, well, it says this, this, this. And it's interesting to hear how other people may interpret something that you may have, you know, meant uh, to, to do differently. So. Yeah, I think specifically, I think maybe like this can be used on your turn or this can be used, you know, out, out of turn, those couple of things. There are the couple of little tweaks that we're going to make with, Shipumba for the you know the, the final run be like this card can be used you know on your turn or play this card at, out of out of turn that tiny little thing because there's so many times we're playing we're like oh well you 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 know you, you could have used the um you know the uh, the yeah yeah I know the yeah yeah I know yeah out, out of turn like oh we we didn't we didn't realize that we thought that was really on, only on our turn so that could have been a game changer so just those tiny little things like you know, just printing, maybe in fine print in the, top, in the corner or having like a little, little icon or something like that, meaning, you know, differentiating between on your turn or out of turn would make a huge difference. Yeah. I feel like icons are your best friend in a tile lane game because you do have limited space. It's not like a, a card where you have a two and a half by three and a half amount of surface area in a tile lane game. You might only have two by two if it's squares or, or, you know, with the, the hex shape, those are typically not very big. And if you're going to have any art on there, then you're going to have to rely on icons to kind of make people understand the rules and how the, how the different tiles work. And so do your, do your tiles have icons? No, actually they don't. They just have uh, wording at the bottom, but we have, um, like for our special tiles, like in Monster Highway, they have like a color background to them. So if you're in your hand, you have like road tiles, but then there's a couple special tiles. The the color at least uh, draws your eye. You're like, oh, there's my swap tile. There's there's my reroll tile. Um, they they stand out like that. They don't really lend themselves that need like require an icon. Um, it's it's a it's a you know more basic style game, but we just felt like the color and then the script underneath uh, the actual tile description. Uh, worked out pretty good yeah but you're still using color to differentiate i think that's the biggest thing is using icons or colors or whatever you can that's something simple so you can differentiate uh, what tiles do different things yeah definitely 
All right. Was there anything else that kind of came out of your, your playtesting process, your design process for your games specifically? That you're like, oh, this is really interesting. As far as the tile laying aspects of the games go, anything else that you would say to somebody who also is working on a tile laying game? You're like, okay, this is kind of cool, or this is something we messed up on, or this is something we would change for the future, that kind of thing. So I guess what we did, um, we kind of, I guess to answer maybe both your questions, we learned going on our second game with Monster Highway uh, that there were a couple tiles that we should have probably had double-sided at the time. Um, we just had just Monster Highway, like the, the word on the back of it, and we could have utilized that back of that tile uh, for something different or just even have that same image on it. So if you're trying to say you're shuffling up the tiles and you're like, well, I need to actually pull out the, the four home bases. Well, we, we put Monster Highway on the one side, but it should have been a home base tile image on both sides. So if someone's rifling through, they're like, oh, well, there's the four right there. Let's pull them out real quick. So we moving forward to Sheep Boomba, like there's there's field tiles that go, um, start tiles that go around the outside perimeter. We made them double-sided. So again, like you're, you're shuffling through, you're like, all right, well, there's my start tiles, set them aside. And then the field tiles just have the grass on the top of it so we could separate them one from the other. So I think like we had said like earlier in the show, like we we're talking about like utilizing maybe two sides of a tile. Uh, that's the one nice benefit of having them. So definitely if, if your game can do that, definitely utilize both sides. Awesome. And as far as let's talk about a little bit about adding complexity, because like we're saying, a lot of these games are very simple. It's just I've got tiles. I'm going to place tiles. But there's all sorts of ways to add complexity to a game. I think Suburbia really shows how this can be done or how can this can be achieved on a, on a grand scale. Um, so what have you found as far as adding complexity you know, onto the tile to kind of make them work differently? Like I know your, your games are, are on the simpler side. Like what do you think, though, you could do to add complexity, especially if you're going for a different game or a different you know, demographic of people than just people coming in to the hobby? I'd say like, well, with Sheep and Ba, like so we, we, we wanted to like kick it up a little notch too. So, I mean, some of the, the tiles, like when you flip it over, um, they, they have, you know, di- different point values to them too. So maybe some, maybe more valuable than the other so just by adding some some initial victory points for discovering certain tiles um so you're scoring them immediately um i I feel like it changes the game a little bit too because like in sheep and bot you're trying to discover the tiles so if you flip over this one type of tile um you you get a point but then if it's a landmine it blows up but you can play a certain card that actually allows you to replace that tile by diffusing a bomb and that's plus two so there's a little bit of a, a strategy there where, you know, you typically just would score a point and if you just found a safe tile and move on, but you have this other one, so it gives you two points instead. So it, it's kind of like different tiles can have um, like a ramping up ability as far as uh, value goes and you can score differently and feel kind of uh, alters the game a little bit depending on what type of cards or tile you play within it. Yeah, it's kind of ramped it up. Uh, you actually introduce a, a new tile that that's not in, in your in your hand or, you know, on, on the board, you just take it off of the board based on what you find that then you reach off the board into a, a draw pile and replace it with a, a different tile that has a, a couple different actions to it. So that was just a way to like ramp it up like one, one step, you know, from monster highway to sheep and bah. So that's just probably going to be like our, our progression, you know, just as, as we're becoming better game designers and learning more from, from other games, um, you know, just slightly increasing the, the complexity just by, you know, making making tiles a little more versatile or, or again, introducing even more new tiles into game based on what you discover. 
Yeah, very cool. And I feel like it also makes it easier to make expansions, right? Because you can just add these extra tiles that add this new mechanism or new way for the tiles to flip over or new icons and things like that. It's a lot easier to add expansions for these style games than maybe some other ones. I think Carcassonne <laughs> proves that with the 511 different expansions they have, you know, that maybe add the dragon. They add these different, you know, ways that the game plays if you want to do that and, and, and you know, just get a box full of new tiles. Yeah, that's we were working on uh, Monster Highway. Um, our, our minds have been going wild because, like, we have these boards or the board, we had the tiles, and we have a single monster. So, we natural progression was like, let's add a second monster. Well, what does that second monster do? Well, he moves in a different spot. So, we're adding cards of the game, but we have different tiles we're, we're, we're toying with, uh, playing around with that you're going to give this monster a different ability than the other monster that's currently in the game. So, like I said, it, it it lends itself to uh, expansions immediately because like, <laughs> the options are endless. How many monsters you can add, um, new roads that you can build, different types of roads, just in that our game specifically. But yeah, which would which would create Monster Highway, which is kind of a, a nice like gateway like filler game. But then having these expansions that that's Bob and I our our way of introducing a little more complexity into the game. Like if if Monster Highway seems a, a bit too simple, or you know you have it and your friends play, but you want to just play it with like your heavier gamer friends. Well, you can get these expansions and then by using these expansions, it's going to take it to the to the next level. Yeah, definitely. And people can kind of grow with the game. So if they come in playing the base game, well, then you can add these extra expansions that kind of, you know, they already got the, the base game rules understood. They, they, they know how to play that. And so then they can kind of upgrade to these other 20 tiles or these other 15 tiles to add some different ways for the game to play or different variants or just some interesting things for them to try out. Yeah, exactly. That, that was one thing that, you know, again, when we... We're setting our paths down with with uh, using tiles in our games. We weren't really thinking about that, but it's like you know, as become more and more, um, you know, in, into this whole board game design world here, we're 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 definitely seeing like as we're coming up with new games, we're like, well, there's an expansion idea there. Like you're trying to figure out like what is necessary for the base game, and then what shall stand alone as, as an expansion if necessary, and. And it's like you don't want to design a game and, and, and throw everything into it um, if it's going to be too much. Because then again, going back to the costs and, and and weight and that that so forth. But uh, it, it's opened up our eyes to, to the amount of possibilities there are. Just, I mean, with our two games alone, I mean, both games can have an expansion as they are. Like the games as, as they are right now are great. Um, but there are definitely things that you can add in that will definitely change the experience a little bit you know, down the line. Yeah, as more people find and discover our games there. Yeah, very cool. All right, so what kind of closing advice would you give to somebody who's working on a tile lane game right now? Like, what would you tell them? Probably have to say just, you know, if you want to reach out to a manufacturer, if you want, or even just start with GameCrafter, just if you want to get an idea on what your game components will, will cost in the end, whether you're going to self-publish it yourself or if you're going to pitch it to a publisher, I mean, they're going to be concerned with that as well. Um just, just to get a handle, like, you know, am I $30 for this game? And, um, and I need to really get it down to like five or six. What do I have to do to cut the cost on it? Is that, how's that going to affect the game? Um, and then also the amount of components in it, you know, the weight of the game, if you're going to kickstart it, shipping is, is like the, the, the biggest issue to, to work around and the weight of your game. I mean, being at two pounds or being at three pounds or being 3.1 pounds, you know, can drastically affect your, your shipping charges. So, you know, be conscientious of the, the overall weight of your game. And it, like I said, like when you're first starting out, that's the, probably the last thing in your mind. You're just trying to like, I just want to get a game that people could play through 
But then when you're like, all right, we have a game here, then it's kind of like you have to start thinking that next level. Um, I'd say weight and, and cost are kind of the two biggest things. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, man, really appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, good luck with Sheep Boom Ba. Did I say that right? Is it Sheep Boom Ba? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Awesome. Good luck with that and the other games that you are, you're working on and everything else you got going on right now. Yeah, thanks, Gabe. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having us on. And hey, we want to congratulate you too on uh, your final flick tier and also on your, uh, your your book that you have out right now. Awesome. We're appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's, about that. yeah, I'm super excited. It's uh, it's taken off uh, a lot more than I, I expected, which is a good problem to have. Yeah. And so uh, I'm just excited to see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. It's joining our uh, catalog on the bookshelf here. So it's, awesome. it's yeah. No, thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?